Thanks so much for listening to Five Leadership Questions today. You know, coming up, we have the Pipeline West Coast event. Now, some people say it's the best coast. I'm not really sure, but I would say in February is probably the best coast that you can go to. Um, So go ahead and check that out at myleadershippipeline.com. It will be on February 22nd. We'll have Carrie Newoff and Eric Geiger, Tom Rayner, Albert Tate, uh, myself, and co-host Daniel M. Uh, All of us will be out there, and we look forward to seeing you there with your team. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I'm here today with Daniel M. Hello, hello. And also a very special guest. He's a repeat guest. Odds are, if you listen to this podcast, you already listen to his podcast as well. Um, we have Greg Groeschel here today. Hey, thanks, uh, Todd and Daniel. I'm glad to be back on with you guys again. Man, we are honored to, to have you on. And what's really neat is we have our standard set of five questions and this goes to the next level. So it's going to be good. <laughs> so yeah, is, I think this is the next five questions, right? It is the next five questions. So, so far we've done this with, um, with Christine. Christine Kane. Yep. And I think she was the first one. Maybe Carrie. I'm not sure. She was the first one for sure. Yeah. Uh, and she'll enjoy hearing that because she still listens quite regularly. If not, Nick listens and he'll tell her. Um, but we're here today with Craig. Uh, yesterday, I saw, it wasn't yesterday, it was uh, end of last week. Uh, we are in our brand new facility today. So Lifeway moved its headquarters um, a few blocks from where it, it used to be. And one of the things is we reopened our, our store in downtown Nashville. And so it's a completely new you kind of experience and I walk in and of course I start to look at the the leadership books and I'm like I know Craig has a new book where is it and it's it was under the daily devotional books so tell us a little bit about that well it's probably because it's the right place to be it, it is a daily devotional book it's, it's called daily power and uh yeah it's just it's uh it kind of gives you daily thoughts and a, and a scripture a prayer verse just to really try to help people engage in a consistent time with God and that's one of the big focuses that we have here, um, especially through version, is, you know, we just noticed that that uh, people are becoming more and more bibli- biblically illiterate. And uh, and so we're just trying to do anything we can to give people tools to help them engage spiritually. Yeah, we love that. Even in the research uh, that we had did that we had done for my book, one of the biggest one of the biggest things that we saw that would actually lift all aspects of maturity in a person's life was the frequency of which they read the Bible. Mm-hmm. I mean, studying, memorizing, that did lead to maturity, but just reading the Bible on a more frequent basis uh, actually lifted all aspects of maturity. So we're on the same page as you there, Craig. Right. Well, well that's something on, on version we're excited about. I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, when you read every day, you get a streak. So if, uh, I think mine is at like 97 days right now. So if you miss nice. a day... You go back to zero. So we're tapping into people's sinful competitive nature (laughs) (laughs) to to consistency because that's, that's, you you know, you're absolutely right. It's uh, anything you do consistently over time value. And I think time in God's word is, is going to have the greatest value. I saw, uh, um, okay. So two things Uh, we've done research recently on uh, children that, that, you know, grow up in a Christian home and what leads to, them really continuing to engage, you know, into high school and into college and that aspect of 
the Bible being a part of daily conversation and uh, of course devotion is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, as well as if you look at the, every piece of research we have done recently all points back to that one element of the Bible being central. The other thing that I thought was really interesting is I had a friend, um, text me over the weekend, uh, cause I get slightly obsessed about things and people know this that listen to the podcast. And so one of the recent things is as um, somebody sent me a, a white paper on cryptocurrency. And you're sharing like, that? You're sharing that here? No, no, wait, <laughs> this wait, is wait, awesome. Wait. It gets better. It gets better. <laughs> somebody sent me, somebody that, one of my friends that knows that I like, kind of like that stuff. He sent me one and it was a Christian cryptocurrency. <laughs> no joke that, um, Basically, you earned coins by reading the Bible. Okay, and for everyone, for everyone who does not know what a cryptocurrency is, it's like Bitcoin or yeah. yeah. And I just thing just sounded really shady because they were like, "Is this real?" And I'm like, uh, "I would wait a very long time before looking at this." But I do appreciate the fact that somebody is trying to encourage people to read the Bible daily. I just don't know that you should tie it to a monetary, uh, <laughs> a monetary thing. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. We have gone way, way off, way, way early in the podcast. So uh, I need to bring this back. <clears throat> or Daniel, maybe you should bring it back by, by answer, asking the first question. Do you want me to? Yeah. Well, how about we do, how about we get to that first question then? All right. Full circle back <laughs> from Bible reading to streaking to <laughs> cryptocurrency and all the way back to our first question, which is what is the conflict, Craig, or failure that has benefited you in leadership? Uh, that's, that is a good question. I, I, I think an important question because, uh, you know, so often we think that, uh, you know, to be successful, you never ever fail. And I, I think actually, if you look at people who've done, you know, a lot of anything, there's going to be a lot of failure along the way. You, you know, as we look back just over the history of our church, one of the biggest and most public failures that I'm most embarrassed about actually uh, is one of the things that have helped us do what we're doing today. I don't know how many years ago, but we we were we we recognized back at the time and we're kind of pioneers to doing church in multiple sites and leveraging video teaching. And we just misunderstood um, the reason why God would actually use and bless a multi-site ministry. And we and, and I'm embarrassed to say, but we were kind of full of pride, thinking we knew what we were doing. And so we jumped from Oklahoma all the way to Phoenix, Arizona, and launched uh, two different locations down the road from each other, which is, which is crazy. Within a, probably two months, it was obvious that both of them weren't going to work. So we combined them into one. And then over the next two years, we made a series of mistakes that cost a lot of money. And I feel bad about that because, you know, people gave trusting us to use it for something to impact lives. And, and we just, we, we, we failed in that measure. And then we made decisions with people that ended up uh, you know, being costly to staff members that we valued and it just didn't work. And at the end of the time, we finally had the courage to, um, let the thing go to bed and, you know, and, and transition it out. And, uh, and that was, it was publicly humiliating. It was embarrassing. It was, we felt like we, you know, let God down, let people down. It was really, really difficult on the backside of it. We did an autopsy and I can't remember the exact number, but it was something like, 37 significant lessons that we learned and we wrote them down on a piece of paper. We put them up all over the wall and we just said, this is, this is what we got from it. And so now if you fast forward several years, 
um, in the upcoming year, we'll be blessed to launch four new churches in, in actually four different states. And that'll take us, you know, into, we're really able to impact people in a lot of different places uh, because of what we learned back there. And so if you get into the theology of did God cause it or allow it, it kind of gets kind of muddy. But I actually do think, you know, uh, Jesus walked on water and let Peter get out of the boat and walk for a little while before he sank. And there's there's a lot of lessons in the walking on water and there's a lot of lessons in the sinking part. Which were more valuable is hard to tell. But in this case, what we learned through our failures um, really created a foundation that's enabled us to do what we're able to do and what will be in 10 different states total by uh, by mid time next year. Perhaps for our listeners, Craig, do you have a framework or questions that you ask when you do the autopsies or when you when you do kind of those audits that you can share with our, our listeners here before we go to our next question? Yeah, I don't think it's a formal group, but, um, you know, generally speaking, we, we try to figure out what went wrong. I like what Andy Stanley says. He says you also should try to really study what's working. And I think the quote, if I get it right, he says, if we don't know why something is working what it is, we won't know how to fix it when it's not. And so I like that. I, I, what I really like to do is really try to find the why behind everything. When it's working, what you know? Why is it that God is blessing it? When it didn't, why is it not? And in, in that case, uh, we really had a fundamental misunderstanding of what really what ch- church was, and, and we kind of thought it was more of a presentation that people came to. And what we came to realize is it's it's all about the local people's engagement with God and each other. And so it's not, you know, get a box, put a video up and put on a weekend service. It's, it's, it's all about engaging the body of Christ to know God personally and then to express it corporately. Uh, and so we, just, we went in and I, I don't think we were sophisticated enough to know the questions. I don't even know that we are today that it's that organized, but I want to look at where, where, you know, where did we spend too much money? Where did we spend not enough? Where did we miss the resource allocation? And in that case, we actually overspent, meaning we brought so much in that we didn't give the people the value of contributing. So they didn't mm-hmm. have real, real mission buy-in. They were letting someone else do all the work and pay for it all. And so they didn't, it didn't create any first generation passion for the ministry. And that was a big mistake. And so it was everything down from resource allocation, it was down to leadership decisions, meaning we, we, were, we were putting the wrong type of leader in the wrong place during the wrong season. There are certain people that are better at starting, there's some that are better at building, there's some that are better sustaining, and so we had we learned through that what type of leader. So we're gonna look at people, we're gonna look at resources, we're gonna look at decision-making, um, everything down to where we put it, how we came in, spiritual posture. Uh, we were we didn't come in with an open-handed, we're here to serve other churches. We came in with more of an arrogant spirit of we know how to do this. And I think it, I think God couldn't bless any of that. So, I mean, everything down to motives, heart. I mean, we're going to look, we're going to circle the whole thing around and ask tons and tons and tons and tons of questions. Um, and when we think we're done asking questions, we're just getting started. And then try to accurately assess what do we need to learn from it? And some of the things, quite honestly, the, it, the, most, the most important lessons are often not those that are most visible on the surface. They're actually getting down into heart issues, motive issues. Um, and, and I think that's, yeah, that's, that's where we had our greatest learnings. Good deal. All right, I'm going to move us into our second question now. Who or what has been the greatest leadership influence in your life? 
who or what has been the greatest leadership influence? Uh, there, there are many, many, many different people, too many to say a single one. I think I'd go with the what, and I think there would be two things would be, um, one is I, I just get so much from books. I, am, I live in books all the time, and I think that's just one of the greatest tools, and, and now podcasts would be, I'd put those in the same categories as books. More than ever before, we have access, and not just to reading something when you have to be sitting down, but listening when you're on a train, on a bus, in your car, working out, to some of the greatest minds of people that you're never going to, maybe never have the ability to meet. So I'm absorbing uh, on average, um, not to brag, but just b- based on my rhythms, I can take in about a book a week, uh, just listening to them. And that's, that helps me so much. And, and then with people, you know, I could name a few names of people that some you've heard of, some you wouldn't, uh, but it's always getting around people that are, that are experts in some area. In other words, rather than having one mentor, you know, I want to have, I want to have 10 different people I'm learning from about in 10 different categories. And some of the best things I've learned about ministry have been from people who don't do ministry. What are, what are a couple of the books that you've read in the last six months that you're like, okay, uh, I, I read all the time. Um, Eric, our boss, uh, yes. is an incessant reader. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm constantly getting fed great books and then I have my own stack. Um, very few of those have anything to do with ministry, um, but they're always applicable. What are some books that pastors probably wouldn't find at the last conference they went to, but would be really great for their own personal development? So I'm I'm glad you asked. If you'd asked me this five, four months, four months ago, I wouldn't have had as good an answer, but I just came across some great, great, great ones recently that I love. Uh, never split the difference. I wish I could tell you the author's name. It's on, uh, it's, it's really on negotiating, but more than negotiating, it's, it's on how to, it's, it's on personal relationships, but it's presented in a, an idea of negotiating. Absolutely, completely brilliant. You, you yeah, never by, know. By how, Chris Voss, right? Chris Voss, exactly. Yeah. You, never, you never know how many times a day you're actually negotiating for anything and everything. And it's, I've got my whole staff reading it. It's an outstanding book. One of, I'd put it in the top 10 books I've read in the last five years. It's that good. Then I, I'd say, I just read, um, it's new by Chip and Dan Heath, The Power of Moments. Outstanding, mm-hmm. outstanding. Creating moments for people. It's great for onboarding staff members. It's great for um, appreciating people. It's great for parenting. I, I love the book. Uh, I read The, uh, the Four uh, by um, uh, the guy who does a lot of YouTube videos, um, Professor on uh, Amazon, Google, Facebook, and the other big one. Um, and it's kind of about future thinking. Uh, I thought that was really good. Then the one that I absolutely and completely love, I got to pull it up, this up to tell you. Um, I just had our, told our team this morning, we're all going to read this one together, is um, uh, uh, Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. Oh, yeah. Uh, fantastic. Yes. Donald yes, yeah. I can't believe how good this guy is in uh, nonfiction writing. I mean, he's a brilliant fiction author, but uh, it, it's, you know, in stories, like in our church, we're pretty passionate about what we're doing. And so we tend to make our church the hero. Here's what we're good at. And here's why you should join our mission. And he shows you brilliantly how you should make in, in business, the customer, the hero in our world, it would be the person who needs Christ. 
to, to be, to be focused on them and how we tell the story and to make it about them. And it's just, it, it can really help change and challenge the way we use language to talk about the mission of Christ. And, uh, you know, we should be Christ centered, but I think we need to be you focused in how we talk to people. And so that, that one's really been helpful to me. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So I love listening to audiobooks as well. And it's neat to see the way that that's kind of resurged again from tapes to now, <laughs> right? Yeah. Everyone can carry it around on their phone. Uh, so I'd love to know uh, for you personally, I mean, do you listen to it regular speed, 1.25, 1.5? And, and after that, uh, yeah. how do you take notes while listening? Because that's, I mean, I love, I'll retain more when I'm reading, but Absolutely. I can get through more when I'm listening. I know. It's, I, I'm, I'm kind of, when I love a book, I go and order the hard copy because then okay. I have to go back and I have to underline. And so, you know, like on Audible, you can you can kind of clip up some parts you like. Totally. And I pull out uh, uh, my notes and just will write stuff down that I like. And so sometimes I'm taking notes the whole time. I okay. listen generally at 1.5 speed. If I love the book, I go to 1.25. And there's two books I've listened to at 1.0 because I liked them so much. One of them was Never Split the Difference. And the other one was... Uh, um, Daniel Lappin's book, what's it called? Uh, um, thou shalt prosper. And I, I liked it because I have such an abundant, I have such a fearful and scarcity mindset. And that one just ministered to me about thinking abundantly. And, uh, so I'll, 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 and then if I don't like it, I'll listen to 2.0. And if I still don't like it, I just quit. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're halfway through and you haven't got anything out of it, just dump the book and don't waste your time. Don't, some people are anal and feel like they have to finish. Just dump it. You know, yeah. I'm not one of those guys either. I'm, I'm out if it's, yeah. if yeah. it's not good. Um, so I know literally last week, Geiger had the four, and was breaking it down for our director's team. Like, you uh-huh. know, here's different pieces of the book that you need to, you need to check out. It's good. It's, it helps you to, it helps it. And to me in ministry, it helps you try to anticipate what's coming by seeing what, you know, he, this guy, I like him because he's real opinionated, kind of dogmatic and, and, uh, uh he'll put a stake in the ground. He might, he may be wrong, but I like a guy to take a stand and it kind of put, he, he thinks in extremes, and that's very helpful to be rather than someone who kind of talks in the middle. One that I liked recently that I didn't expect to was uh, be our guest. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that one. It's a, it's, it's kind of the update of inside the magic kingdom. I don't know if you remember that one. I love the, I love inside the magic kingdom, but I haven't read the updated version. It's good. I mean, it's supposed to be about customer service, but ultimately it's, it's about vision values and DNA. And honestly, I'm like, this has leadership pipeline all the way through it. I don't understand I'm like, I want to go to Disney University and see how they do this. This is awesome. Hmm. But anyway, um, Daniel, bring us back. Bring us back in. What's what's question number three? All right, let's keep on going here. What do you want your le- leadership legacy to be, Craig? Uh, so at the time of this recording, I'm two weeks away from my 50th birthday. I'm kind of excited about it because uh, I'm, I just, I'm actually like really excited about where I am at this stage of life, meaning I'm in love with my wife. My kids are all doing great spiritually. And, um, we've got an army of young leaders coming up from the church. And so rather than, rather than looking at it going, man, life's almost, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over the hill. Instead, what I'm looking at is going in the next years, I think I can have the highest investment in people. And, uh, it's just, it's super, super fun. People kind of told me this would come that with age, you start to see your kind of, I, I call it hats. I tell when I work with our team, 
you have to determine what hat you're going to wear for certain conversations. And in one conversation, you put on the pastor hat. Another time it's a friend hat. Another time it's the mentor hat. Another time it's the coach hat, the developer's hat, um, a parent's hat. And so, you know, the, the type of hat you're wearing shapes the, the kind of conversation you have. I totally feel like I'm going into a, a season of wearing a coach's hat where I'm going to coach and give away, give away, give away, give away, give away. And to see not only my kids, my, my biological children, but if I could use the term spiritual children, you know, there's 20 somethings and 18 somethings, you know, coming, coming up that are just crazy good leaders, crazy passionate about it. I want to, I want to give away, give away, give away. And then when I die, um, at whatever point that is, is, you know, I hope that people will, will say, you know, the guy, the guy really did serve with integrity. And that's, that's the big word for me. Uh, certainly I'm nowhere close to perfect, but I, I am thankful that in our culture, our leaders are trusted leaders. And so, you know, if there's one word, I hope they'll say integrity. And then, um, if what I hope is that the, the emerging generation can kind of stand on the shoulders of my peers and me, and then do way, way, way more. And I think they are doing that and they're going to do more of that. And that's just, that's crazy exciting to me. So I, I think one of the, the key thing I remember about the last time we talked was that you regularly bring in young leaders. I mean, like young, young leaders mm-hmm. and just interact with them. So what's the cadence of that? And I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you're still doing it, but what does that time look like and what are you continuing to learn from them? Last time, you know, you brought up stuff to me that I hadn't noticed before, but certainly have noticed since then, like, you know, Hey, some of these guys are scripting out, uh, they're writing down what they're going to say before they order a pizza. Yes. Um, there were some of those things that I was like, what? And then I started to look and I was, I started to read more and I was like, Oh, this is exactly right. It, so, it so talk about that for a little bit. So I'm going to guess it's been, what was maybe a couple of years since we've talked. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, probably about 18 months. Yeah. So here's, I actually think what I'm seeing is starting to change a little bit. And I think it's because there's, there's a, there's considerable difference between millennials and the generation following them. And uh, so I can't remember the exact number, but I think our, I think it's 78% of our staff are millennials it's right around that number. So, you know, that's really cool to work with them and to see all the strengths that, of that generation. They're, they're often, you know, people often say they're, they're lazy and, um, and kind of entitled and all that kind of stuff. I am yeah, sure there's a lot of people like that, but the, 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 the ones that are fueled with spiritual passion, they're not. I'm seeing, I'm seeing a real strong work ethic. They're, they were a more guarded group protected by parents and, and like that conversation about ordering pizza, we literally, you know, there are a lot of them who are so nervous to talk on the phone that they will script conversations before they ever, um, ever have them. But here's what I'm seeing. I've been reading about this and I'm seeing it coming. The, now if you take a 21 year old, they're actually much more financially conservative than typically, um, someone in their early thirties. And what we're seeing is they've seen their older brothers and sisters or their older friends go to college come out with $40,000 college debt and they're working at Starbucks. They're going, this is not working at all. And so they're, they're much more financially conservative and responsible um, in general. They're also, they're, but they're still very, very mission-minded, meaning they want to make a difference. I think the kind of the emerging younger group, they have their feet on the ground a little more, a little more realistic 
than those who were maybe five or 10 years older who thought they were going to be great at everything and then kind of got went to the school of hard knocks and realized I'm not great at everything. Um, but it, they're, they're crazy culturally connected. I mean, my gosh, um, to do discipleship that counter kind of influences culture is a real, real challenge. Um, but it's also a massive opportunity. And what I do in the meetings is, is I ask questions um, virtually the whole time. I'll reserve the last 15 minutes or so for them to ask me, but I'm asking questions. And I, I want to know everything from, you know, uh, what message series impacted you most? What kind of questions are your friends asking? What are you asking that I'm not addressing at all? Where am I um, as a leader? Where are we as a church most impacting you? And where, where are we totally and completely missing the mark? And so I ask a lot of kind of self-centered questions like that. But then I try to get into really what they're thinking. What are you afraid of? What's your greatest um, hope for you? What's your greatest struggle? Um, where, where do you feel most vulnerable? And so I, I just try to understand what's going on in their world. And uh, I, you know, I love what I see. I, I'm, I'm nervous for a generation that's so exposed to pornography and so exposed to the downsides of social media, um, of comparing and, and feeling left out. And we know there's a lot of upsides, but there, I think there's a lot of emotional challenges that creates. And so it, you know, how do you deal with when, when you've been raised looking at inappropriate stuff and it, that ends up, um, robbing people of intimacy and dehumanizing people, what's going to happen with a generation being raised like that? That's scary to me. But at the same time, I see, uh, I see so much, I see the, I see the gospel transforming lives in big ways. And so it's simultaneously really exciting to me. Yeah, I'm so glad that you addressed that issue because it is so rampant. And even with the over-sexualization of our culture as well, I mean, how do we as pastors and church leaders address that? Can you maybe, um, maybe, maybe talk about how you address that as a result of hearing about that from, from the group that you meet with? Yeah, I'm, I'm not totally sure, but here's, here's what I do know. Um, I, I had a group of great young spiritual leaders. They all serve in the student ministry. The best of the best of the best I know. And about 20 of them, I said, how many of your friends, and you never ask how many of you, how many of your friends struggle with <laughs> pornography? And they all said all of them. And I said, all of them? Like, you know, there's like no exceptions. Like, no, all of them, which means all of those people I'm talking to do by the way, you know, by their answer. Yeah. And these, these are the best of the best of the best of the best. Now, I don't know what they mean by struggle, meaning they looked at it. They want to look at it. They look at it every day. I don't know what that means, but every time I'm with any group, I always ask them that question. And every time the answer is all of them or almost all of them. And so that tells me there's a real issue. What I'm doing is I'm trying, I'm trying to create um, a culture where we're allowed to have those conversations and so I have it with our staff all the time. I'm never going to assume that anyone is above that temptation and I'm never going to let it go without us talking about it. And then kind of what I try to do is I model, um, I try to model wisdom, meaning my whole life is safeguarded against this as much as possible. Meaning my computer has tracking software. My, my phone is like, you know, there's five people who have every password to everything from my bank account, all my social media accounts. I don't have, um, unfiltered internet access, all my social media, you know, multiple people can look at what I'm looking at. And so I, at this age, I'm not nearly as vulnerable as I was 15 years ago at all, but I still could be vulnerable. So why would I, 
Why would I go and fight off a temptation in the future if I have the power to eliminate it today? Mm, I say that phrase so over and over again. And what I do is I give I give our other staff members permission to say, well, if Pastor Craig needs to protect his phone, well, I might as well too. And so basically, I'm just, um, by example, I'm giving, I'm creating a climate where people will talk about it. And then they have permission to do something that otherwise someone might say, well, you that weak, you need that. Well, you know, I just think it's okay. Craig does it. I do it. We just do it to be smart. And, uh, I love that. So I want people talking about it. Um, I want an environment where someone has the freedom to say, oh my gosh, I looked at something, um, rather than keeping that a secret. Because if there's, if there's no grace, then they're going to keep it a secret and they're going to be more tempted. And I need a, I need an environment, even where a staff member can say, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm getting into trouble and have the conversation early before it grows into something that's, that's dangerous. And so I'm going to have more grace on the front end for someone that confesses because I, I believe their heart's pure and I know I'm certainly not perfect. And so, uh, I think we, we need to give people permission to talk about it. And to talk about it when they struggle early, because if they don't talk about it, then they're going to struggle a lot later in the game. Yeah, I love that. And Craig, I love how every one of your podcasts you talk about, hey, uh, people would rather follow a leader who is real than a leader who is right. And and I see you modeling that uh, just in the conversation we're having and in the posture that you're setting for your staff and for those that you lead. So I, we so appreciate that. So the next question uh, is our fourth one, and that's what habits or practices do you focus on so you can continue to learn as a leader? Mm-hmm. I think I think asking questions, we, we want to be in a posture of asking questions. I think we want to expose ourselves to people, not only in our field, but people outside our field. Last night I had dinner with a, um, a couple and this uh, the guy in there, I think he's taken seven different companies public. And that's just, man, that's like so out of my realm of knowledge. And so I'm learning, absorbing the whole time. We, we want to read outside of our, our area of expertise. You know, if we're, if we're Christians, my gosh, we want to read books that build us spiritually. But why in the world would we not read? I, I even want to read stuff that might disagree um, with my worldview, not so that it can turn me, but so that I can understand how somebody else thinks. Um, if we're going to communicate and help people understand why we believe what we believe, we need to understand why, and we need to um, understand some uh, opposing views as well. So we're going to get out of our comfort zone, ask questions. And then what I like to try to do, Todd and Daniel, is, is, is I like to go find people that aren't one or two steps ahead of me, but I want to find someone 10 or 20 steps ahead of me. And, and they give me what I call the gift of disorientation meaning they're talking about that they think in ways that I don't even know how to think. I walk away dazed, sometimes confused, like, and, and not fully even understanding the why behind so much of what they do that rattles me. Um, and, and then the points where I want to push back the hardest and say, well, that will never be true for me. That's always wrong. That's stupid. I try to tell myself that's probably the place that I have the most to learn where I have, wherever I have the biggest negative reaction is probably an indication that I don't yet have the experience or even a category of vocabulary to, to express or to ask the right questions about that area. And so I like to get around people that just shatter what I'm thinking. I'll learn from a guy one step ahead of me or two always, but if I can find someone in business or in a nonprofit is way, way ahead, 
I want to see what they do with their time, what they don't do, how they invest resources, how they onboard people, how they develop people, how they create systems, how they're thinking, what are, what are they reading, what are their theories about the future, and just ask, ask, absorb, absorb. Good That's deal. awesome. <laughs> uh, I think it, it kind of uh, transitions into our fifth question really, really well. So what is the best piece of leadership advice you have ever been given? I think um, Gary Walter is a guy who was kind of like my church planting coach when we started Life Church. This was 1996 or so. He had me create a budget. And I think my budget for the year, honest to goodness, was like $48,000 for the whole year. And I was going to, you know, we're going to do church in this garage and, you know, I'm going to pay myself a thousand dollars a month. And we can, you know, it was just, it was, it was nothing. And, and he said, he said, you know, you, you really are thinking way, way, way too small. And he said, what do you think could happen in a couple of years? I said, oh, I think we'll grow to a thousand people. And, and, and he said, here, he said, this is your big mistake. This is what almost everybody your age, I was 20 at the time. He said, this is, this is listen to me. He kind of leaned in, made it a holy moment. And he said, I never will forget, he said, Craig, you will very likely underestimate what you can do in the short run. In other words, you think you're going to be to a thousand people in two years. You won't. And I wasn't no, nowhere close. You know, I'm at, I'm at a couple hundred people in two years and, you know, and he's like, you know, you're, you're going to vastly overestimate what you can do in the short run. And then he said, but you will vastly underestimate what God can do through you over a lifetime of faithfulness. And that that's just so, so really, really impacted me. One of the books I like that I had all my kids read is it's called The Compound Effect. I think it's by Hardy, but I could be wrong. And, and that basically his book is like a whole book on that thought that when you when you do the right thing consistently over time, you have no idea how God can use it and how he'll, he'll honor faithfulness. Little faithfulness, little faithfulness. I don't want to ever wake up and say my goal is to do you know, these five things, the next five years, that's not the way I think what I want to do is I want to do the right thing today. If it's difficult, I'm still going to do the right thing. If it's more expensive, I'm still going to do the right thing. Um, if it's more costly, I'm going to tr try to do the right thing. And then over time, doing the right thing consistently over time leads to almost always, um, the blessings of God in a way that you, you, you just, you, you, you can't, can't understand when you're 28, what God can do through you when you're 50. You can't, if, if you'll be faithful on the way. Um, and if you're 50 now and feel like you've blown it, the good news is you can start being faithful today. Today's a day. Be faithful with a little bit today and he'll trust you with even more tomorrow. I love how practical that is and biblical. <laughs> that is always good when this, when this is about this. It's good when it works that way, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we just want to thank you so much for spending uh, this this time with us. Um, we always, always enjoy having you on the podcast and uh, just greatly appreciate your ministry. You know, we live and breathe leadership on a daily basis. And so we're constantly hearing about uh, things that you've done. I enjoy talking to you because I usually uh, get two or three more books that are good. Now, um, well, I got to go pick up, go. be our guest after you said that, but Hey, I want to tell you guys, thank you too. Congratulations on the impact that you're having. The great content brings people back. And, uh, you know, you all had recently had over a million um, downloads of your podcast and that's because you're, you know, you're doing a great job and it, it adds value uh, to help people better. So I just get better as leaders. So I just want to tell you all, thank you. And then for everyone who took, uh, you know, 35, 40, 45 minutes or an hour to listen today, 
Thank you guys. We, um, we, we can get better together and I appreciate your investment to help us get better. So good. Well, guys, thanks for listening and uh, tune in next time. Wait, don't, don't go yet. Don't hold up. Okay. So we are doing pipeline West in the OC. That's right. Southern California. February 22nd and 23rd. So February 22nd is the actual conference day. That's Kerry Newoff, Tom Rayner, Eric Geiger, myself, Daniel M., Albert Tate. These people will all be bringing it for sure. You want to be there, not only because it's going to be great content, but it's February, okay? And this is California. So it's a, the sunny in 76 is good to be at any time of year, but especially in February. Hope to see you there.